Hi there, everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is the Fried Squirms, where we are here to get stoned and talk about video video games. We were just talking about video games. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies, because we just got done talking about video games, and now it's time to, for us to do our <laughs> podcast. This week is Gozu, which, woof, woof this is going to be an interesting one. But before we get there, we got to get to the getting stoned part. I just put it out, but you know what? For this section, I'm about to light it back up again. For our green hits, Danny, what is this, Jay, that you brought for me today? Nice. So it shouldn't be a surprise. Went by Flower earlier last week and picked up a pack of grapes and cream, which is something I've brought to the show before. I believe you have as well. But for those who are not familiar, this is a strain also known as just grapes and cream, but it's crossed using grape pie and cookies and cream. So it says with this, the sweet combination results in a calming strain beloved by many cannabis connoisseurs, including myself. Now this one's good for producing like creative effects, but it's also nice for people who are getting like ready for sleep and stuff like that. So with that being said, this is more on the calming side. Hint some of the terpene profile on this one. The uh, total cannabinoids come in at about 26.2% with the terpenes at 2.33%. The terpenes that are going to stand out the most are linalool, hence the calming effect. You have myrcene, lemonine, pinene, and karyophyllene kind of rounding out that terpene profile. But yeah, I like this one a lot. This is kind of new in terms of how I've seen this on here on Leafly. This is kind of cool. So it says, if you like grapes and cream, some strains that are similar include Bruce Banner, Citrus Farmer, Carl Sagan, and T-1000. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that they can kind of pair you with some of these strains. I'm glad that they were doing that with the strain that you looked up, because the one I looked up, they had the bare minimum information <laughs> to the point where I went to a different site to look it up just to be sure that they were talking about the same <laughs> yeah. strain. Nice. It's one that I know you're familiar with, but we haven't talked about on the show yet. Today I brought you some chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Really like this strain a lot. Oh, yeah, I've been I've been smoking on it on an all week. Indica dominant strain. Also picked it up at Flower. It is a cross between Sunday Driver and Wedding Cake. That sounds about right. Yeah. So whenever you look up Chauffeur, because I was just scrolling through like five or six different pages and websites and what they were all saying about the strain, because uh, a few of them had very little information, and then the other ones, I was like, this doesn't this doesn't seem quite right. A lot of the places, maybe Flower just had a really good crop, but most of them are identifying it as a little bit lower THC strain. A lot of places are putting it between like 14 to 21%. This is coming out at 31%. Yeah, it's quite the contrast. And the only other one that I saw hitting that high listed online was also crossed with Skittles. Mm, yeah. I'm wondering if maybe a little bit of that got in there. Wouldn't be surprising. Right? Yeah, considering... Some of the strains we've seen, you know, here in Missoula. Not that THC percentage is the end-all, be-all, no, uh, but it's one of those things that it's it's always kind of interesting to see, and especially when what I have in my hand is 31%, and when I look it up online, everyone's like, yeah, this great strain is coming in at 14%, and I'm like, fuck off it is. <laughs> yeah, Are we talking about the same strain? That's interesting, yeah, because I feel like strains that are typically lower in THC kind of make me feel a little bit more racy. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be more like land race strains, to be quite fair. So it's interesting that grapes are 14% on some end. Right, yeah. So maybe they just had a good crop. I don't know. I'm okay with that. Either way, the terpene total is also coming in at a pretty high 2.35%, with the top being 
Lemonine, followed by Linalool, and the Myrcene and Karyophyllene are almost neck and neck. So, I don't know. I've been enjoying it. I know that you've been enjoying it. So, I decided to pick some up. <laughs> Actually, I picked up a single the other night, so that's how much I liked it, because they didn't have it in the sixes when I was looking for it. Uh, and you were just like, well, fuck it, I want some shit. Yeah, like, I still want a single. <laughs> that, hell yeah, dude. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, yeah. even if it means buying single pre-roll joints. I'll do it. We'd like to remind people, hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. The lowest level you could have listened to this last week. Highest level is the Discord. In that middle zone, honestly, most people, probably all you need is the middle zone. Because the middle zone makes sure that you get the majority of our content. Because you get everything the week early. Then you also get those Patreon-exclusive episodes where we've been going back through our catalog, talking about some of these movies that we haven't laid eyes on in six, seven years. Yeah, and that's what makes it fun you know, make the rounds again on some of these films. And we're seeing shit. And if nothing else, we're having a good time. And we'd like to think that you guys enjoy that as well. Absolutely. So. Yeah, for three bucks. Come on, dude. Come on. Friedsquirms.com slash Patreon. With that, let's get into the guts and bolts of Gozu. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts. The who and what went into the making of this movie. Spoiler free. And to start off our spoiler-free setup for Gozu, in case you don't know what a Gozu is. This is both incredibly easy and incredibly hard, because you can't spoil this movie, because no matter what you say, it won't make sense. Also, I'm not quite sure what to say. A younger Yakuza member is thrust into a psychosexual journey of finding himself after being ordered to kill a ranking member that was his mentor. And it's a supernatural black comedy body horror surrealist horror? Uh, it's hard to argue with any of, in all of that, so. That is folktale and mythology inspired <laughs> we'll try to make sense of it in the next section but you're right i mean as much info as you can give it's still gonna make sense until you start explaining shit so have fun with that <laughs> all right so we do like talking about the cast and crew and of course because we're talking about gozu and more specifically the director takashi Miike. So, gentlemen, we've talked about several times before, so I'm going to go through some of the episodes that we've actually reviewed them on. Okay. Way back on episode two, Visitor Q. He's got to be one of our most talked about directors at this point, I, right? I want to say he's got to be at this point. If, he, if he's not, he's got to be at the top two, if not three. Easy. Yeah. All right, so episode two and reanimated, our second Patreon episode, mm-hmm. Visitor Q. Episode 87, we had Jeff on when we did Ichi the Killer. That was our second tester fright. It took us that long to get back to... I mean, 87 isn't... With how many horror movies there are in the world. It's it's about a year and a half, roughly. Mm -hmm. So we did episode 121, was Audition. Episode 188, he did the segment... What was it? Box segment on Three Extremes. We also did episode 254, Lesson of the Evil. Now, do we count Gemini because I know you watched the making of? Right, but um, 
That's Shinya Sukumoto. So I wouldn't count Gemini. No, that's Shinya. Well, I know. Well, it's Shinya, but the making of on the DVD. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Takashi. I say you're saying that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. No, I mean, no, not really. What's interesting about Takashi, too, is he, he talked about this, and I, I got to get a little brief insight into this, and this is kind of cool. Eli Roth and Del Toro were in a little round table with him back in 2004. And Eli Roth asked about, you know, he's like, you weren't a good film student, but you, you know, you got into directing. How did that happen? He said, well, he said, I worked in the industry for 10 years for studios. And he said he was an assistant director the entire time, did a lot of freelance and stuff. He said, but what he did, he said, worked on projects mainly that were like under tight whether it's time constraints, budget constraints, you name it. Mm -hmm. He worked on those things. And so he said, because of that, he learned how to just do things really quick. You know, just kind of, I guess it, for him, he has a certain method he uses in terms of that, but he doesn't. I mean, he has to be able to work on things quick. How many directing credits does he have to his name? Well, we've talked about this before. Over, Over 100. 100, right. He broke 100 like maybe two years ago. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to be a busy bee if you're going to get that many projects out. So it makes sense. So that kind of makes sense why when you go through his filmography, you're like, well, obviously not all of them movies, no. but some of them are TV series. Absolutely. So he's done series. You're right. He's done TV movies. He's done full length features. He's done a little bit of it all. So, and he's done all kinds of different genre, blending of genre films as well. He's kind of got his fingerprint on all kinds of shit. My partner, my girlfriend, she was asking me yesterday, like, what movie are you guys doing this week? I'm like, oh, it's called Gozu. Like, you're, I'm like, I hadn't watched it yet. It was before I watched it last night. And I'm like, from everything I understand, you're probably not going to like it. But there's other movies from this director that you'll like and others that I will not let you get close to. <laughs> and that's fair. I'm like, this guy has a range. I'm like, you'll probably like 13 Assassins. You'll probably like a, a couple of his other samurai dramas or agree. just like drama dramas. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And you're not going to like audition. They would be none the wiser, right? And that would be okay. Like, you don't need to watch all these other one, audition and Ichi and mm -hmm. so forth and such. But that's kind of the beauty of it, too, is he has such a range that you can explore whatever you want and not have to, you know, venture into the others. You're not going to give a single shit about Phoenix Wright. Yeah, and then, like, that's fair. So I, for, for a while, I've been curious about one film... In particular, because I've already bought the other one. But Blues Harp has been kind of on my radar mm. for a long time. I've heard it's a pretty decent film. And it falls into that whole Yakuza film genre that he likes to dabble into and, and stuff like that. So curious about that. And the other one, actually, that I bought, I still haven't watched, is The Bird People in China. Mm. So I'm still kind of curious about that one. But, man, you're right. I mean, he's done a ton of films. I'm sure we'll dabble more into his filmography. We can't help it, so... I'm looking forward to that. So those are just a few of the films that we have talked about. Now, another gentleman we've talked about before is writer Sakichi Sato, mainly because we talked about him on episode 87 when we talked about Ichi the Killer. And he's also known for such films as Tokyo Zombie and Meatball Machine Kodoku. Now, he's also an actor, and he does appear in this film, and I'll talk about that as well. <laughs> All right, cinematographer on this is Kazunari Tanaka, they're known for the films Dead or Alive Part 2, Birds, and Dead or Alive Final. Also the film Detective Story, Common Rider the First as well. No, three of those films are Kashimike films. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you want to guess which one? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have editor Yasushi Shimimura, another gentleman we talked about before. 
mainly because of all the films we talked about before with Takashi Miike, Visitor Q, Each of the Killer, Audition, Three Extremes, more specifically. All right, music done by Koji Indo, another gentleman we talked about before, for all the same reasons I just mentioned before. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Keep that simple. All right, now, I don't know if we talked about this person. I have a feeling we did because of a lot of their cool works and special effects, but this is uh, Yuichi Matsui. They worked on Visitor Q, they worked on Ichi the Killer, Audition, Lesson of the Evil, and there was a few others I did want to talk about because they've got some cool shit. Unearthed Films put out two of their, these films from the 80s, Entrails of a Beautiful Woman and Entrails of a Virgin. Okay. Which I'm, you know, let me back that up. I'm, I think it's Unearthed Films, but it might be another distributor. All right. He's also done Cure, he's on The Ring, Ringu, for people in China, Andromedia, Pulse, The Happiness of the Katakuris, 2LDK, which I do know other films are mm, putting that mm-hmm. out for Blu-ray. And, I mean, there's so many other films, but those are just kind of a few that come on. Okay. All right. We have producers, Kanako Koido and Hurumi Sone. We have production companies, Raku Ishe and The Clockworks. We have distributors, Pathfinder Pictures which released the 2004 United States theatrical release version of that, and Tartan helped with the United Kingdom's 2004 theatrical release. All right, we have release dates May 17th, 2003 at the Cannes Film Festival in France, and July 12th, 2003 at the PIA Film Festival in Japan. All right, now this had a gross... Now, we've talked about this before, keep in mind, just because it has a low number doesn't indicate its its success or failures but it had a gross of about fifty eight thousand dollars at the box office which probably under a limited very limited run mm-hmm. given the the content all right so moving into the cast i'm going to start with hideke sone who also plays the role of uh, minami now they're known for the films graveyard of honor they were in violent fire zebra man in ikusu we have. Oh, yeah. So I just looked it up. Yeah. Gozu opened in one theater. Oh. Widest release, four theaters. It wasn't in four theaters until its ninth week of release. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. All right. We have Sho Ikawa, plays the role of Ozaki, or the brother. All right. Now, a few films of note from him. He's been in some really cool stuff. He's been in Rainy Dog, The Eel. He was a part of the Dead or Alive series. He was in the film Pulse. Also in Shangri-La, he was also in Zebra Man 1 and 2, the film Waru, and Tokyo Zombie. All right, we have Kimika Yoshino. She plays the role of female Zaki, slash brother. Now, she was in the Eko Eko Azarak series. She was also in Sky High. She was in Waru and the Sylvian Experiments. All right, we have Shohei Hino, plays the role of Nose. Some people might know him if you are familiar with the Shogun Assassins. He was also in Vengeance's Mine, Shogun's Ninja, and Owl's Castle along with Emperor. All right, we have Keiko Tomita. She plays the role of Innkeeper Masa. A few films of note from her. She was in High and Low, the film Redbeard, and One Missed Call. All right, we have Horume Sone. Plays the role of Innkeeper's brother, Kazu. He was in the Shogun Assassins. He was a part of Graveyard of Honor. Message from Space. He was in Legend of the Eight Samurai, Kikoku, Izo, and Tokyo Zombie. All right, we have Renji Ishibashi, yeah. who plays the role of the boss. We've actually talked about him before a couple of different times. He was in Tetsuo back on episode mm-hmm. 110, The Iron Man, which is wild. Right? He's also in episode 121 when we talked about audition Dishing. as well. Old man in the Also, wheelchair. episode 180 in Gemini. 
and a laundry list of other films. I don't know how extensive I want to get into that, but damn, he's got a lot. Oh, yeah, he was a part of those Zatoichi films. Yeah. In Lone Cub. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lone Wolf and Cub, which is really cool. Right. And, of course, it's the Lone Wolf and Cub films that were recut to be Shogun Assassin. Ah, it's really cool. All right. He was also in The Bird People in China, which I mentioned a little bit earlier with some of uh, the films that Takashi has directed. He's also in 2001's Agitator. Also voiced uh, Renji in Cowboy Bebop, the movie, which is really cool. One Miss Call Part Two. He was also in Izo. Okay, yeah. In 2021, he was in The Great Yokai War Guardians. So a few things of note from him as well. All right, we've got Kenichi Endo. He plays the role of Endo. A few things of note from him. We've actually talked about him back on episode two. He was the father in Visitor Q, mm-hmm. which is wild. All right. He was also in the film Violent Cop. He was in the Tomei replay film. He was in Dead or Alive Part Two, Birds. He was also in Violent Fire, Kikoku, When Miss Call, Flower and Snake. He was in Izo, Tokyo Noir, The Great Yukai War, and The Guardians. He was also in Crows Zero, One and Two, and The Raid Part Two. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. And last but not least that I have on my list of people of, or in this film, I have Sakichi Sato, who plays the coffee shop manager. I mentioned who was the writer on this film. We talked about him back on episode 87 in Ichi the Killer. He's the guy who likes kicking Ichi. Oh, yeah, yeah, All right. And he's also in Kill Bill's Volume 1 and 2 as Charlie Brown, which is <laughs> <Just> funny. <laughs> he's also in As the God's Will, which I was actually looking at some Blu-ray copies earlier. Mm. And he's also in the Great Yukai War Guardians film. So that rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give our listeners some uh, warnings. Oh, so not as bloody or gory as you're going to be used to from a horror from Takashi Miike. Not by any means. There's a little bit. Right, but not... By most standards. No. That being said, when it does happen, it's c- kind of crazy body horror-ish. Uh, did I mention that this is a very psychosexual mu- movie? Like, there's a lot of weird sex stuff. And hello, Visitor of Accused Lactation. You're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Milk Party's back. <laughs> Language, I guess? Is yeah, there I mean, any? I mean... Yeah. Yes, but probably not a lot in... Comparison to most stuff that we say and or watch, guys, it's weird. That's that's <laughs> yeah. the warning. It does kind of fit. It surprisingly not not really, but kind of for this block how it's kind of ending as well. So I'm excited to, to talk about that too, like some of the parallels. Yeah, I guess I'll just get into it and find out how Gozu made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man, Gozu. So this is another one that behind the scenes we've been talking about for a long ass time. A long freaking time. I mean, long before we even started the podcast. Yeah. And mostly, if we're going to, before we started the podcast, then it's you recommending it to me because I haven't watched it till yesterday. That's okay, man. Like I said, there's so much I think you even lent it to me for a little bit. Not a biggie. Not (laughs) even a biggie. Same thing. I've borrowed and lent out things where, you know, it's like if if people get around to it, cool. And if not, it's okay. I, I know where it's at. Although, if I remember right, I eventually didn't watch it just because I wanted to save it for Yeah, and I this. think that's fair. I think that's fair, considering. I always knew I was going to get to it, because we do this every week. And here we are. So, you know, all things, I guess, in a certain way come to fruition. So, when did you first see it, then? Since I'm the newcomer. Okay, so, 
this ties in a little bit to my history, and I don't need to get into depth because we've already done that with Takashi Miike. So knowing about his films, et cetera, et cetera, I came across this one. It was just kind of by chance. I think I found it along with like Audition and Ichi around that same time period. So like 2004 probably when I found okay. this, something like that. And because of that, I watched it, and it's a long run. Now, mind you, it's a two-hour mm-hmm. film. So the first time, I don't think I paid it enough attention. But I do remember like being like, I think I told you this, confused. Like, wh- what exactly did I watch, and what exactly does this mean? You know, that was my very first impression. Now, mind you, that was probably from a 22, 23 at the most, 23-year-old's lens right mm-hmm. and then mind you i'm 41 now so it's a little different you know so i've only seen it once that that was way back when all the way through i don't know why i never revisited no, no particular reason it wasn't like oh i'm scared of it or it's just it's too confusing i don't know i just never gave it a proper rewatch just because i've got so many fucking films as it is mm-hmm. but this was a perfect opportunity to revisit it it fit into the block of films that we're currently doing so with that being said yeah i'd say my history goes back to when it was first released with the DVD, and I only watched it once up until this weekend. But it had, for me, it left kind of an indelible impression. Oh, yeah, this, for sure. This movie's insane. We don't do this often, but this is going to be one of those ones where I feel like before we talk about it, we should just lay out the bare bones of what happens. Hmm, okay, that's fair. I like that. That way, when if we start jumping around, there's there's something that makes sense there. Right, because we've already laid down the infrastructure, if you will, or maybe the foundation. And this is one of the even rarer ones where I am legit just going to read the Wikipedia plot entry because I read it earlier. It's pretty... I'd I'd say there's only maybe one part that I'd take issue with, with how they describe it, but otherwise it's... For the bare bones of what happens in the movie, it's pretty spot on. Ozaki... A mentally unstable Yakuza kills a Chihuahua outside a restaurant after becoming convinced that it is actually an attack dog trained to kill gangsters. Seeing Ozaki as a security risk, the head of the Azamawari Yakuza clan orders follow underling Minami, who is Ozaki's brother, to kill him. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that, the way that they word that in mm-hmm. the wiki, because I was reading that, and they make it seem like they're related as brothers. That's they're not, not the case. They're both Brothers in brothers the in clan. Brothers in the clan, yes. That is exactly what they are. And you hit the nail on the head when you said he's his mentor. Mm-hmm. Ozaki. Yeah, as Manami's mentor. And dispose of his body in a company depot. No, the rest I can agree with. Yeah. That's what it is. Manami, reluctant to murder Ozaki, unwittingly kills him when he pushes him to the ground in an attempt to stop him from killing an innocent woman who he mistook for an assassin. After finding the road he was driving along mysteriously replaced with a large lake, he enters a coffee shop to find a phone. Minami is given a complimentary meal that makes him violently throw up in the bathroom and returns to discover that Ozaki's body is missing. When he asks the people in town, he finds most of them apprehensive and uncooperative. He then sets out to explore the nearly deserted, run-down suburb of Nagoya, in a desperate attempt to recover the body, only to find himself caught in a series of increasingly surreal situations. He meets several characters, including an elderly innkeeper obsessed with her breast milk, her strange brother who can supposedly channel spirits, a waiter who died three years ago in a car accident, and Gozu, or a man with a cow's head who appears to him in a dream. Minami tracks Ozaki to a junkyard, where he is told that he was murdered and turned into a skin suit. He returns to his car to find a girl who claims to be Ozaki. 
After sharing intimate details of their life, as well as one of his dreams, he believes her. Minami and female Ozaki spend the night at a hotel. During the night, Minami hears what sounds like a voice emanating from the female Ozaki's vagina while she sleeps. She wakes up and asks Minami if he wants to have sex with her. He rejects her advances. The next day, Minami drives the female Ozaki back to his gang's office with the intent of explaining the situation to his boss. However, once they arrive, the female Ozaki claims that she is actually the daughter of another Yakuza family's deceased boss, and that she wishes to start working for Minami's boss. The boss takes the female Ozaki to his office to have sex with her, leaving Minami outside. The boss inserts the handle of a ladle into his anus, as this is apparently the only way that he can achieve an erection. Minami sneaks back into the office and confronts his boss. In the ensuing physical altercation, the boss falls backwards, impaling himself on the ladle, achieving orgasm. Minami electrocutes the unconscious boss with exposed wires from a light fitting, then leaves with the female Ozaki. Minami and the female Ozaki return to Minami's home. Minami gives in to his temptations, and at the behest of the female Ozaki, they begin to have sex. However, as soon as he penetrates her, something latches onto his penis from within the female Ozaki. As Minami recoils in horror, a human hand emerges from the female Ozaki's vagina. The original male Ozaki then extricates himself from the female Ozaki as Minami cowers in the corner of the room. In the final scene in the movie, the two male brothers, along with the female Ozaki, are seen walking down the street arm's length. Yeah, I wouldn't say two male brothers. I would just say, you know, two members or maybe like mm-hmm. ex-members. Maybe they're ex-members at this point. I don't know. Right. That That's unclear at the end. Right. They right, also right, right. might be the boss. True. Like, I don't know. It's it's somewhat vague, but you kind of get an idea. So that's what happens in this movie. Right. Yeah, so the outline, the cliff notes. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on that's beyond just what you just read. Not just that, but I mean, look, dude, that alone is a lot. <laughs> no, it is. It is. You're like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't know that, that happened. All of that happened yeah, in the no, film. No, that happened. But there's a lot more. <laughs> a lot more. So I'll say, when I tried watching this yesterday, I'm going to say the other two films in this block put me into a bad habit. Because they were both kind of slow enough and just like long like scene porn shoddy enough and just kind of laid back enough that I was kind of able to do kind of passive watches of them. I put this in and I check my phone for like 30 seconds and I look up and I'm like, what the fuck is actually, what did I just miss? How do these things connect from what I was just looking at? And I I had to like watch every frame of this movie to try to understand how the fucking (laughs) everything fits together. I'm hoping you brought more of the actual research on like which folklore and which myths that, because I didn't get into that part. No, that's okay. Let's, let's see where you're at. And then maybe, and I'm not trying to like impose myself, but maybe I can help fill in some of the blanks. Perhaps. I didn't try to, identify specific things i thought more about just what the movie was talking about in general which by the way i think 
I mean, there's definitely different ways that you can interpret parts of this movie, but I do feel like overall, as weird as it gets, it's pretty obvious that this is a movie about a man coming to terms with his own homosexuality. Yes, I think so as well. There's a really, I I would say at this point, just based off of the films that we've done and this particular gentleman's reviews on it, his name is Tom Meese, M-E-S, he does a really good job of analyzing not just Takashi's work, but like Shinya's works mm. and more of the Japanese filmmakers in general and, and just Asian cinema. But he even mentioned that too. He's like, when you kind of strip away all the absurdness of it, he says, what it, what it really boils down to is, yeah, this guy coming to grips with realizing he's in love with his mentor. Yes. And, and he gets this, he basically gets the shot. Yes. And having to deal with it. Yeah. And that's that's okay, man. And if anybody needs more of kind of like a reference of like, what do you, maybe this is a one-off kind of deal. It's like, no, he did it in Nietzsche the Killer. That's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, there's parts of it. And some of his other works in the Yakuza genre in general, like some films I haven't even seen. It's just based off some of what Tom Meese was talking about. And I was like, okay, I can definitely see that. Because there, there came a point where I'm like, yeah, this guy, it feels like he's in love with his mentor. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not far-fetched at all. And the, the whole sequence of events, like you said, when you strip away the surrealness, the absurdist, it's just him coming to terms with the fact that like right. he's in love with the dude. And yeah, what's really interesting, in, in a sense, is it shows a lot of the male you know, camaraderie in terms of like they live together, they so that therefore they cook and clean and, and watch after each other. So they develop these certain bonds. And then when you mix it in with like this kind of, it's not a like macho in terms of like US, United States, mm-hmm. you know, mu- muscles. And it's more of a, a, a laid back bravado. Like people know they're badass. You don't fuck with them. Right, right. Yeah. And like don't go fucking around. But then there's also like, <laughs> like I said, this very hypersexual drive that can lead into like these very taboo sexual, you know, things, proclivities Mm -hmm. (laughs) that can arise. And and he delves into that world in a lot of his films too, which is really cool. And he does it here, not in depth, but it's there. And I guess the only other, like going into it, the other thing I know is like the, the Gozu cow's head story. Mm -hmm. Now I, so the thing I don't, I don't know if there's an actual story. Okay. Everything I've read makes it seem like the story is that there's a story about a story that's supposed to be so terrifying that it causes all these different events. I, I've seen the like the urban legend mm-hmm. version where the the condensed version because I can make it long winded, but the condensed version is like there's a bunch of rowdy kids on a bus. A and teacher tells teacher. them the story. Then one of the kids on the bus is like, "No, this is actually the real story," and it terrifies everybody. They get into a, an accident. He's the only one who survives. Then he tells the tale to like the cops or whomever. And so he's like this continuing horrific story. And this kid seems to be like maybe a demon, Mm -hmm. you know, that. And I know that just like Gozu as in a bull's head. And just as that, using that as a name is conflated often with Susanoo, Mm. one of the Japanese deities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We can get into that a little bit. I don't know about that much about it, but I can give you a little bit more insight. And that's that. that's kind of like the bare bones of yeah. what I know, just because I've 
like I read a lot of like urban fantasy and they like to really mix things in with like ancient gods and pantheons and stuff. So yeah. Susan who comes up sometimes. Well, I, I <laughs> man, I, I kind of skipped a lot of that freaking urban legend story. A little bit of it has to do with like this couple that were going up this, I guess this mountain or whatever. And the husband's like, you know, because it's winter, we found a, a cow cut it open. You're going to stay inside with the baby. I'll go to the village. If you don't, you know, hear from me by summer you need to move on mm. but the guy takes refuge these villagers take him in they're kind to him blah 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 um, along the way he grows a little mad like delirious for i can't remember exactly why but he winds up taking a hatchet he goes back down to where his wife and kid are but because he's in this delirious state he sees the cow as like this creature and so he goes to chopping it his wife and of mm. course his child are inside and uh, he kills us. He, he comes, yeah. He comes. He comes back to the village. Uh, oh, actually, excuse me, because the kid escaped. The kid escaped. I'm sorry. He killed the wife. The kid saw it, escaped, and the villagers take him down. And so that's how the teacher told it. Yeah. And then like, and then the kid is like, no, this is what really happened. And then then you don't really know because it's so horrific. That's kind of the whole point, right? So there, yeah. So that's kind of the missing boy. But in this case with Gozu, actually, so glad I read that. There's a the film essay. So what is said about Gozu, it's actually, it's derived its name from a Buddhist mythology. It says they are cow-headed demons along with the horse-headed Mizu that serve as the guardians of hell where they feast on the flesh of sinners. Okay, so I saw that and I didn't know if that, because I was trying to look up just a few things so I wouldn't be completely, especially after watching this movie the first time, and I was yeah. like, what the fuck did I just watch? And I had to look up a couple things. Exactly. And I was like, oh, this seems to be somewhat related, but I like the fact that these other things are talking so specifically about like more bullheaded men rather than a bull-faced demon. Gotcha. Yeah, I was taking they, a look at those other things instead, and, but I did see those brought up. Like, Yeah, and it's like, in the context of this film makes a lot more sense given the circumstances which we'll talk about two other characters because they tie into some more not just like buddhist mythology but the origin story of japan itself uh nose it is the brother and sister couple in this film oh okay right so they're considered like the degenerate version of izanagi and izanami which were a brother and sister they were deities who descended from the heavens down into like the primordial ooze of earth and they right. helped form the Japanese archipelago or archipelago and gave Japan its first emperor. Okay. Now here's something interesting. I didn't know this, but it makes a lot more sense. Not only did it, they give Japan their first emperor, but along with that emperor, the emperor had a boneless miscreant named Hiroku. Hiroku the Goblin. Goblin. I, oh, damn. That's pretty cool. So there's that. So there's shit that Ichi just has his... Not Ichi. Takashi no, just no, has well, yeah. his, his brain into. Like, yeah, I mean, it ties right back into you know Japan, of course, and all this other stuff. But once you start kind of connecting those pieces and, and these characters are tied back into these characters and mythologies, like, oh, okay, that kind of makes more sense because... I know it's like this is. I'm glad you laid the bare bones because this is a part where we can yeah. start jumping around. So the brother and sister couple, you talked about, she lactates. I mean, they're adults. I mean, adult mm -hmm. adults, like older adults. 
she still lactates, and it seems that they're bottling it and distributing it to the town because <laughs> you see the kid out in the street mm-hmm. drinking from it, right? And and we know that it's weirdly somewhat religious to them. Yes. Because they say that blessing or whatever before they even go up to the room. Yeah, that's wild. They talk about it's better to provide the milk than to drink it, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a paraphrase it. Mm-hmm. But which gets brought up, doesn't that get brought up outside of that though too? Like say something like somebody mentions that they're healthier giving it rather than taking it. I think like so. I, I think so. I, th- I want to say she might have said it, but I, I think you're wrong. right. I mean, she might have said it. But regardless, he does get sick whenever he ingests it. Yeah. So or maybe not every or every time. No, he didn't. Not after the red rice. <laughs> no. Anyway, sorry. No, no, you're okay. You're okay. <laughs> But those two couples, it also appears that more than likely they have, or they're having a sexuous relationship, right? So with that, and then you, you mix in the fact that Minami, Minami, or whatever, Minami, Minami, he is in a foreign town to him, right? Because everybody's like, you're not from Nagoya, are you? You're not, you know. mm-hmm. they, they spell that out to him. So you ain't from Rand. Yeah, bae, bae, are you, boy? <laughs> So you've got all this weird stuff going on, and it appears that he's stuck in some kind of limbo state, perhaps, or like this netherworld. And you could say, and this is not necessarily me, but this is also Tommy saying, you could say that that, that they're in is a portal to the netherworld. And because you see Gozu up in the second story and all that shit, he's the gatekeeper to hell. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he's visiting him in, in his dreams and stuff like that. But... This is kind of where I drew a little bit of parallel with David Lynch because he's drawing inspiration from Lynch and Cronenberg, Alice in Wonderland as well. Mm. You've got this guy going into a, a a place that is foreign to him and everybody's acting strange, even though it's not strange to them because he's not used to their ways yeah. of, of doing things. You know, everything's foreign to him. So you have that going on and he keeps going down the rabbit hole so the shit gets, keeps getting weirder. So you have that at play. Like I said, you have the Lynchian dream world where things don't make sense. These characters are off. The diner especially. Yesterday it was hotter, yeah? Not, they keep having kind of, uh, in a way, Patrick did this, and this is really neat, like repurposed lines. Mm-hmm. Some lines are not necessarily repurposed verbatim, but people repeat lines. And it's it's kind of unsettling the way they do it. Like I said, the guy keeps talking on the phone about the weather. And even when No sits down. I had to wear a t-shirt. They keep talking. Ask anybody. Yeah, and the guy keeps having that conversation. And it's like, this is fucking weird. <laughs> you know, here is something interesting, though, about those two guys. The guy who, like, is staring at him and you know, mm-hmm. tells him he's not from No. That guy's a comedian, apparently. Like, oh, he's shit. a well-known <laughs> comedian, both of those guys. So when I watched, like, a featurette, it was... You could see him like when he wasn't in his scenes, he was as goofy as shit, fucking with things, <laughs> just finding any any way to. And they were making comments like, "Yeah, he's bored. He's looking to make us giggle mm-hmm. and stuff." But they were talking about the fact that those two guys together are is going to be real comedic, dark comedy. So they that's why they were cast in those parts. Um, but yeah, the whole point being is there's so much unsettling things going on. Once even before he gets to town, like the road ends, and now it's a lake. And your boss is like going through these these fits of it seems madness. So it's already 
you're you're thrust into this craziness in a sense. All right, so I managed to actually take some decent notes for this movie. I feel like while we're sort of in this opening bit, when they start out on the trip, what Ozaki tells them when he's taking the piss. Amazing foreshadowing. Ties back around to the end. When he's talking about the boss, being crazed over women at his age spells the end. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, look, some shit's going to go down. I need you to trust me. I thought that was clever the way... Because he sets up that he's basically going to overthrow the boss. Like, he's going to throw a coup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. And the way that Takashi Miike inserts like the women in these roles past that point like you see the boss is using women as more like sex objects you know Mm -hmm. and then when you do encounter women from here on out you look at the innkeeper right she's she's actually the dominant one in that relationship right you've got the female Ozaki she's still dictating things to, to Minami he's still taking not necessarily orders but he's following her lead so when, bring it just because you mentioned the female Ozaki, do we see her in the diner that first time when Ozaki gets pissed and runs outside? I Is she the one that looks over at him? When, when exactly? Because I, I want to be, like, I don't want to say yes or no, because I don't know for sure. So, so after everything goes down in the diner for the first time, okay. and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about that here in a second, <laughs> yeah. but... As he's leaving back outside, when he oh, looks, talking about in the window. When he looks her? out the window uh-huh. and he notices that the body's not there, so he rushes outside. As you get a shot of him rushing through the door, and there's a gal sitting at the diner. Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't pay and that much attention to it. After he rushes by her, the camera looks at her for a second, and she like turns her head and looks. I, you know, I probably have to rewatch that because I don't want to say yay or nay. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. But that's a that if it is that's still that's pretty cool that's clever. Anyway, okay. So first off, the Yakuza killer car. <laughs> yeah. What the, that was one of the scenes where I was like, that's when I had looked down at my phone the first time. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? And I was like, wait. I looked back up. I'm like, why is he hiding behind? Like, are they in a shootout? What am I missing? I didn't hear a shootout going on. No, he just, he thinks that lady's following him, and she's an assassin. She's something. Well, that's just it. Like, when he has the gun up to her, she's just kind of giving him this blank stare. It's like, most people will be terrified and pleading and things like that. She's just kind of, like, non plused Yeah. <laughs> Sad, can care less. Almost like she was a mannequin or something, not even a real right. person. Right, and so that right there, to me, if, you know... If it's your first time, it's going to be weird, all right? It's going to be like, what the fuck? But that's kind of the point. It lets you know things are about to get more strange the further these guys get toward Nagoya. Yeah. And then fucking homie comes and pushes him over and then yells, you know, like, cool, it's done. Get out of here. Yeah. And the car the does way the she backs swervy up back yeah. up. See, that's the whole point. I'm like, what is going on? But that's that's just it. That's the whole point. And that's yeah, and that's when I was like, okay, this shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not that the Chihuahua opening wasn't weird. Jesus, man. Yeah, or the or the, it did not even the Chihuahua, the the tape. Yeah, just what the what, what they're watching Ozaki's on the TV. Watching. Yeah. Now this is kind of neat because I did see the featurette, so I got oh, a clear okay. image of what the fuck that was. 
so it's a it's a guy with a burned face, and he's delivering the message, and it says boys, boys be, be ambitious. ambitious, right? And that's Spelled it. Spelled wrong, right? And that's it. That's 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 the whole point. It's just to be absurd. Nothing more. That's it. So with how grainy it was. I wasn't sure if it tied back around to the end because I couldn't make out that it was a dude with a burn face. It also kind of looks like what female Ozaki looks like shriveled Ooh, yeah, up. Yeah, shriveled up. That makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. I, you know, that's interesting because it, it very well could be like a circular thing going on. Mm-hmm. I could see And that. I didn't know how that even makes sense, especially with the boys be ambitious or anything, but yeah. I was... It was just too hard to tell with how grainy I think, it was. I, I think some of it just, just a little bit I, I got into it. I think it's more just played up for the dark comedy and absurdness mm-hmm. of it. And that also makes sense. Yeah. That also makes sense. It was just, when you notice that there's things going on, Where you're of like... Of course, no, I was like, well, I can see where you get that from, though. <laughs> Dude, the, the, the other... I fucking cracked <laughs> up. Once again, the first time through... I was having a hard time even finding a lot of the humor in the movie just because it was happening to me. You know what I mean? It was so much happening to me. <laughs> yeah. The second time through, man, when they're dealing with the uh, the Yakuza killer car sequence, when Ozaki jumps out and he's like, no, good on. Here, if something happens to me, you know what to do. And then just the look on Minami's face, you're like, he has no fucking idea what to do. This <laughs> no. is the first time in your life that you've ever said these words to him. Like, Yeah, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Well, that's the whole point. Now, oh, here's what I liked. You probably caught this too, because it's, I mean, it's pretty much on the nose. This should be, in terms of cinematic, the way they did it, you've seen that little blood trickle on the window mm. with Ozaki's face. I should let you know something's a little off kilter with half. Him. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a cool shot, but it is also telling of that character. I was like, that, the Chihuahua scene gets so funny when you realize that, like, there should be fucking blood and oh, yeah, brains and shit all over. And so it's so obvious that he's throwing around, like, a stuffed dog yeah, that that scene gets fucking hilarious. Well, just that's like. just it, because people would be freaking the fuck out. I mean, right? right, right. Who wouldn't? Right. I, I don't want to see that. No, of course not. But like you were saying, knowing that it's fucking, like, a, it's a stuffed animal he's probably slinging around. That's... That makes it funny. Okay, so the diner. Okay. Oh, yeah, because that's weird as it is from the get-go. This is where it starts, like, the super psychosexual stuff. Yes, absolutely it does. Because the owner is... Least, I would say at at least... least cross-dressing? Yes, at least that side of it, yes. At least that much. It The movie never makes it any more clear than that. But that's you can at least derive that much. And even though he doesn't order it, he goes into this strange place and accepts the creamy soup from him. Right, because it's complimentary. Everything's complimentary here. And then has a moment of shame and rushes out <laughs> when he's called out on not being from around there. Which kind of sounds like he wandered into a bathhouse. Oof. And got freaked out when somebody actually spoke to him. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Like, like this is him going on his journey, figuring out if he likes fucking dudes. <laughs> Very Cause well. Because he realizes he might be in love with I, his... I didn't, I didn't look too much into this. No, I could, be, I could be way off base here, but I feel like 
not just the coffee shop owner, but the two females mm-hmm. with them. I think those were dudes. I think you're right. <laughs> and that would lend its hand more into what you're saying. Is that yeah? This is maybe, him dipping his toe. Exactly. Like, yeah, he's going. He's to in do a this, strange town. Uh, yeah, Nobody's going to recognize him, but he still feels that shame because this is his first time yeah. when somebody actually confronts him. Precisely. He's not just a voyeur anymore. He's a participant. Like I said, whether he wanted to be or not, he he put himself in that situation. Now here you are. Exactly. So now he is being introduced to the customs, if you will. And you're right, he feels shame for even probably participating in, in the, the innocent side of it. Dude, the dude talks to him through, like, that little window in the way that it's yeah set up. He talked to him through a fucking glory hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, there, there, there's a lot of hypersexual stuff. And knowing Takashi Miike, he likes to do the taboo side of things. Even though it might not be as apparent, it's definitely there. I think you're not too far fetched from what what's going on in the scene. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I read it. I was like, "Yeah, wait, 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 is this this isn't a diner, is it?" Yeah, exactly. It's it's a meta <laughs> metaphorically speaking, or yeah, it's like uh, maybe, <laughs> but yeah, more than likely not. Mm-hmm. Ozaki's lost. Mm-hmm. Disappears. Calls the boss. This is when we first find out about. A ladle in the ass. Did you see the pictures that accompanied the ladles? I saw that there were pictures, but I didn't see the... Holy shit. So, this is fucked up. So each one of those ladles it's, had a corresponding like picture. Right? It's got a picture and it's labeled. Those pictures are of anal cavities. <laughs> so I'm assuming based on which ladle, that's how he's going to get spread out. <laughs> that well, is and they're all coming up. they're all set in like volcanoes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's another metaphor yeah so you have that going on I'm like wow this is okay here we go again so that's another interesting aspect to this all no because right. yeah right <laughs> especially he doesn't learn this till the end but when you're considering everything that's going on and the journey that we both agree that this man is on and how it ties into basically the boss getting his comeuppance at the end. The boss orders Ozaki killed because he's weird. Mm-hmm. He's queer. Yeah, he's different. He's different. Only to find out that obviously not only... <laughs> I know, this is funny. So, gay dudes are obviously not the only people that have anal sex. Right. However, that's the stereotype associated. So the fact that the boss of this macho organization can't get it up unless he has something stuck in his ass is the hypocrisy of it all. Yeah, you could say that's that's the whole irony, man. It's like, isn't that ironic? Yeah, that you're calling other people out for being weird. Yeah, like you say, here you are shoving shit up your butt because you can't get your dick hard. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. fucking hilarious. So I can nut. Like, all right. I'm not judging. I'm just like, don't be a hypocrite. Like you were saying, don't be be a hypocrite. Yeah. Obviously, like, it's not 
exactly the same. No, but I mean, I'm not saying having something stuck up your butt is gay. No, it, it, that's but no. in the but in the realm of the symbolism, yes. In terms of how people, I guess, express that, it's like yeah, it's like you know, I'm not gonna judge. I'm not. It goes across the you know the boards of like what people like and you know, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff that has it has nothing to do with any of that other stuff. Like you you can end if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, but with but when you're using basically stereotypes to tell the story, right, 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 right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Because you're you're trying to paint a broad picture to get across the idea, right? It's like it, it depends on the context. It really mm-hmm. does. So that's interesting there too. And then he yeah. meets uh, Noze. Nozuchi, what's his what's his name? Just knows. That's what yeah, we just call him. Yeah. Who, if we're gonna continue <laughs> along with the uh, everything, is by. Okay. If we're gonna go with the symbolism that's being presented with us, because mm-hmm. we are introduced to him. Mm. We are introduced to him, and he is also split. Yeah. Except when <laughs> when we first see him. He's looking through a girly mag, but he also instantly recognizes that a bone is the problem. Yeah. And knows how to uh, navigate the world of the diner and is willing to be the one to bring Minami back into it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's really. Damn, you know, that's just. This is interesting when you think about it like this. Like you could say this is a very clever, not necessarily veiled, but a guy who is trying to explore, like you said, his his sexuality in this Lynchian Cronenberg esque Alice Wonderland storytelling. Yeah, and he's meeting these characters that are kind of like taking him on these little journeys and leading him in these little directions, and some of it's cryptic and yeah. Is he, do you know if that character, if Nose, is is based in any of the folklore aspect or anything? Because I thought that, I that weird little him asking a question and then hopping. I mean, bit. I could totally see that, like him being some kind of, once again, either spirit or, I mean, maybe demon. I don't know. I didn't. And anything I saw in terms of the behind the scenes or any mm-hmm. of that nature, never really talked about his character in that respect. Okay. So I... I don't have reason to believe, but it wouldn't be far-fetched either that he is some kind of mythological figure. Well, because then he brings him to uh, the one dude, and he's like, answer my riddle. Oh, yeah, 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 because it's like... And that all seemed very mythic, folklore-ish. Right, and it's not something that we... We've talked about this. It's not something that you haven't seen before or hasn't been expressed in some kind of folklore or folk tale or something of that nature. You know, answer my riddle... Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But in the context of this film, I don't know per, per se if it's you know like say, ties back into any kind of Buddhism or whatever. Yeah, I have no idea. It, it felt in line with all. Of that. I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely does. And I'm not sure because the guy's like, what? What is it? He's like, if you answer my riddle, I'll help you, or I'll have him help you out. But I'll take something from you that you most want. Yeah, something of that nature. It was something akin to that. I, I I didn't write it down, but I probably should have. And then it's never made clear what he's taken from him. Yeah, in that context, I'm not I'm not quite sure. Even with all the symbolism in this movie, I'm not sure what was necessarily taken from him. If anything, it, this is ha, movie has a very happy ending. <laughs> I mean, it does. It does. That's kind of 
the interesting take here. All right, let's keep plodding through because I want to. I do want to talk about all that, like leading up into the finale and all that other good stuff. So then they go to the. There's the hotel. We we get <laughs> the son. Yeah. Trying to stay in the room. No, he was not the one that tried to stay in the room. He's just off. He's a little different. It was Nose that tried to stay in the room. Yeah, Nose tried to stay in the room. He's like, no, nah, you got to get out. Sorry. And then you apparently something happened to him. Mm-hmm. Probably got but then he goes, when he goes to bathe, the mom. Yeah, oh, dude. Now we're starting to get back to lactation station. Yeah. So <laughs> that was something I, I'm trying to think. I did not remember going into this film. Like, I didn't remember all that lactation stuff. And then, yeah, you're right. Once I start watching, I was like, holy shit, Visitor Q, welcome back. <laughs> you're right. Like, How many films are you going to watch in your lifetime where you see that and then you, you you know it's from the same director. You're like, of course it is. <laughs> Not one, but two. <laughs> what I found most interesting about that scene is that when, when she's like, look, I lactate, and she starts yeah. squeezing it out underneath her towel, the imagery that we get of it is white running down her leg, which is a far more masculine yeah. imagery because it's, it's more used to fucking jizz. Right, and I think that's the clever use of like shrouding some of these, you could say like the homoerotic whatever nature of, of mm-hmm. what he's going through, but you shroud it in more of a heterosexual nature because it, you can use it more aptly, I suppose, without drawing too much attention to like, what are you, what are you making here? What kind of film is this? Right. You know, it can be mistaken like that. So I think that was the clever nature of it. It's like, yeah, we can use his his confusions, if you will, right? But use a female character in, in its place, but still use, like, use the imagery. Instead of, yeah, showing her her bare tit and, you know, milk coming out. It's like, nah, Which you'll still see later. Well, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> that has a whole different, like, consequence. But, yeah, why else, why else would they show it trickling down her leg? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I think you're you're more kind of like, oh, he walked into that bathhouse again. <laughs> that kind of shit. Now he's having a one-on-one. Yeah. Or something. A, yeah, something of that nature. Maybe he, maybe that is exactly what we're seeing, and he's just, he's scared. Like, he doesn't, I don't subscribe to that. I mean, this might be him realizing that he's not really that attracted to women. That's just it. Like maybe I it mean, is it, him. it is like this older woman oh, so, that's just like yeah. weirdly coming on to him I in mean, the middle of nowhere in a very strange way. Hey, so no wrong. everybody has their kinks. Like right. kink shaming, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not for everybody. But you know, it's also maybe that's just how he's feeling her too, and that's okay. This is already a very strange yeah. uh, trip I'm to like, Nagoya. Well, so. I, I will say this. <laughs> maybe in his defense, in this in this case, it's like, dude, if I see an, an older lady, nothing wrong with that, but if she's out here, like starting to lactate in front of me by myself and i'm like all right first of all this is kind of weird as it is like that's what i'm saying like yeah we, we barely met <laughs> he has every reason to say no but i don't think that that necessarily means that it's not a stand-in for him realizing that maybe this isn't what i'm into yeah yeah maybe i wanted maybe i thought i wanted to be but but no this kind of maybe uh 
you know, seals a deal in that respect. It's mm-hmm. like, nah, this is probably not for me. Goes to bed. But then that not that where we get the milk dripping from the ceiling? Yeah. Which we learn that the room above his is, his. is where Ozaki stayed. Uh-huh. And that she went to Ozaki? She... That let's, night? Let's see how they, how they describe it. Because she explains it a little bit later mm-hmm. in the film, like how that happened. So apparently he came in late that night and right. he was looking for a room. And the only one they had available is in that storage room upstairs. And then she talked about all the stuff that he wanted. And because he didn't pay for the bill, they took away his complimentary meal (laughs) and gave it to uh, Minami. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh. So you could say that possibly the boss, or not the boss, but his mentor was like watching him, you know, keeping an eye on him and things like that. Just, just, Just kind of like, okay, maybe... Maybe the student is learning, you know, so I got to keep a little bit of an eye, still protect them from the outside, just in case things go sideways. Mm-hmm. But not to the point where I'm interfering and making him still confused. Like, let him discover. Like you said, it's he's kind of on the outside, ushering him in. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense if you look at the relationship in that sense. Like, he's upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's what a circumcision does. <laughs> I mean, dude, that's an awkward conversation as it is, but they're just kind of, you know. So big and glorious as always. Like, Jesus, okay. That's cool, I suppose. Their relationship, that's fine. He goes back to the diner with nose, more of a big outburst this time. Mm -hmm. And, And that, once again, that kind of felt like, I don't know. Nose was supposed to help ease him back into it, but when he was recognized, he suddenly felt like the outsider again. Yeah, exactly. Because Nose was just too comfortable. He was yeah. too there and just got kind of pulled away. And That whole story, too, which is wild. Like, Nose bumps into those two guys who we encounter earlier from the first scene in the coffee shop, right? And then he just kind of has me and me kind of fuck off mm-hmm. in a way, you know? So he kind of continues his journey. But then you learn later on, which is, man, how all this stuff kind of happens, is he appears right after you see it. Was it the beating scene? Yeah. No. And he no. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah, gets yeah. all, he's terrified and shit. And yeah, he and tells the like, story of what happened. And he's like, yo, the are. shop owner's been dead. Yeah, and you're like, what the fuck? And I, as soon as he says that, the door <laughs> flies open and the shop owner's squatted down taking a shit i know man what the fuck and Which, it just cuts back to them telling their story that's kind of like the absurdly dark humor in this film throwing mm-hmm. that in there like <laughs> <laughs> but what i found interesting too the, the more i thought about that coffee shop owner and the reason why maybe he's wearing what he's wearing it's like man that's kind of a tail or a, you know tip off in the sense that you're seeing like this and it's like a little bit of a transformation, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense that Ozaki becomes the female Ozaki and the way that he can express his desire, <laughs> attraction, is you have to, to shroud it in the female, the, the feminine, mm-hmm. as opposed to the masculine. And that's what he's doing. He's shrouding those urges and more in the feminine sense of it. Right. That's why he's using these these women as the stand-ins for that stuff. I'm like, oh, 
that kind of makes more sense. Even though, like you were saying, the the whole thing with maybe he's walking into a bathhouse makes more sense because you're kind of seeing it already. And if you're paying close enough attention, it's like, yeah, he's kind of, he's tipping his hand a little bit. Like, we're going to flip this a little bit on you. Mm -hmm. So that way you're, you're maybe more comfortable with what's going on here. The Japanese shop owner, his American wife was fucking hilarious. Did you read anything about that? That she knew no Japanese and was speaking it phonetically off of cue cards. Hence why they shot it. Her reading right (laughs) off the cue cards. And, I couldn't help it, but it made me think of our time with Jafar. Jafar, yeah. It's like, holy shit, they're Jafaring right now. That's so good. Yeah, that was awesome. But it worked for that scene because, mm-hmm. A, it does feel very Lynchian because you're using, once again, an outsider to... It says that the guy right before is like, she's more Japanese than we are because they're selling Japanese sake. They're American. That's absurd. <laughs> and here they are. Can't even speak the language. Yeah. You know, yeah. Read right off a cue card phonetically. So, yeah, it's it's a little unsettling. It shows you kind of like the, like, what the fuck is going on in this town? Kind of, you know, nature of it. Then we get the filling the bottles. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I want to stay in the room that Ozaki stayed in. Yeah. And that's when he has the Gozu dream. That's pretty wild. What did you make of that the first <clears throat> time? I, I, I still don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. That one is a little bit more, I think, confusing in a sense because it's like, what exactly? I, I looked at it. The maybe, important part is he gets the, the letter. I think that was maybe that's what it is. He's more of a messenger. He could have been like the arbiter of maybe his despair. Mm-hmm. You know, like if he's really shameful about who he is, he could just come on in, boy. You know, kind of, that kind of shit. Like, I'll, I'll take you to hell if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Or... I can be the, you know, the deliverer of this message, maybe distract you from this place. You don't belong here. In that kind of sense. Like, mm-hmm. you don't belong in the netherworld. You belong in, out in the open. Well, here's the thing. I feel like, like he, he's realizing that he wants to be with Ozaki, but he feels like he has to be a certain way if he's gay. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's going and trying the bathhouses and stuff. Yeah, of course. But that's not what... He wants. He wants a monogamous relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you have to do these these weird like backdoor things just to achieve a piece of what you're really trying to attain. And you don't want to, but that's kind of the hand that you're forced into. He's like, this isn't me. But yes. everything that I've been doing also isn't me. Right. It's like, so, yeah, why do you think it's so confusing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. And especially in that culture, too, that is very frowned upon. So you have that at play as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wakes up, still has the note from Ozaki, come down to the dump. Uh Uh-huh. You run into those guys, and... That's fucking hilarious. I loved that scene. Apparently that guy that Who do you want taken care of? (laughs) That older guy, he's a legendary actor from that area. Like, the whole reason they shot it in Nagoya, which they did shoot in Nagoya, is because the Sones are from that area, and they're the ones that actually got Takashi Mika, his, his... his break in the industry in terms of full length of, you know, features and things like that. Cause he directed, I can't remember the name of it. It was some, some kind of Yakuza film, but Sone's son, Hideke, it was uh, Minami mm-hmm. in this, that was supposed to be his like breakout and he never really attained it. And so he once again, wanted to do Yakuza film, shoot it in, in Nagoya, but mm-hmm. Takashi's like, Hey, let me bring my dude in and do it our way. 
So Ozaki's overthrow coup plan part of this movie mm-hmm. only works with his changing into female Ozaki to be able to basically get to the boss with his guard down. Yes. And how does he use it? His sexual drive with women. Mm-hmm. But in the emotional story that this movie is telling, did Ozaki actually transition? Mm. Does it matter? I don't think it necessarily Or is matters. it is it more of Nina me trying to Ooh, to think, like you know bargain with himself like it's okay because I'm seeing him as a woman. Yeah, I, I think it's it's as a bit of that like he's the bottom. <laughs> it's okay because I'm going to be mean. topping his ass. I was thinking of it in this sense like okay Ozaki we see him in the beginning as like crazy and like hallucinating things, and maybe you could say that's a metaphor or for also, his sexuality. Is he hallucinating? Well, things? that's just that's just it, right? That's <laughs> with just how it. weird this movie gets. Yes. Was that a killer chihuahua? It very well could have been. We don't know. We don't know. It's, it could have been like some John dies at the end shit. We don't yeah. know, right? That's kind of the whole point too. But the way I I looked at it is maybe at the beginning he was kind of like Minimi, or you know, he was dealing with his sexuality, and so he's like having these outbursts. outbursts. Right, because not only is he confused, but his boss is like hypersexual and just running through mm-hmm. women and just whatever. Like he's just so focused on sex that he's he's losing the big picture here at play, right? And because he has his understudy, right, he's supposed to make the hit and all this other shit. This guy's also trying to explore his sexuality, and they're both going through it. Maybe, maybe. Oh, maybe Ozaki isn't as far along in this as it seems like. Right. Or maybe, at least not with being out. Right. Maybe he's still vicariously doing it through Minami. Like, he's guiding him from the shadows and still vicariously, like, seeing, like, okay, maybe that's the mistake. We need to avoid that. That, that kind of shit. And he's both, understood that this is who he is for a long time, but he's getting... Uh, yeah. He's he can't live rebirth. in the closet anymore. Right. That's Therefore, that's why he's being reborn again so whether it's in the a feminine sense whether it's a transition as in right uh, a little male sense. to female right. yeah male to female transition or uh, or if it's a transition in just simply coming out of the closet i think that and living as who he he expresses himself yeah, to be. i think it has a lot to do with all of that and i would say sprinkled in with you know flipping the whole masculine into the feminine side of, mm-hmm. of the, the, their nature. It's like, what? maybe we need to quit leaning so much in this machismo fucking bravado shit with the Yakuza. It's like, we can be feminine, but we don't have to be flamboyant. Mm-hmm. And he, he had to shed his skin. Right, exactly. That's metaphorical. Because that, that was him. Yeah. Like, that was his skin hanging out. Exactly. And it's like, here's his, his insides and all that shit. And like I so said, that's, that's the whole metaphorical rebirth yeah, it's fucked up. It's wild. We haven't even really talked about that, but that's how I viewed that. Mm-hmm. Knowing, like, their relationship. <laughs> Let go. <laughs> that's so funny. The part that is weird is that how, is how willing he was to just go with that trucker. Yeah. It's like, well, maybe that's not that other thing we were talking about. Like, you know, some people explore their their ways differently. Well, yeah. I mean, he just came out. And he's wanting to explore, like, just yeah, like this... Minami was frequenting the bathhouse. Earlier. Oh man, maybe, huh? 
was like, well, maybe maybe Ozaki's like cross dressing and exploring that side of himself mm-hmm. and doesn't like that side of himself because he has to hide it. You know, and it's like, yeah, this is how I can pick up my Johns is dressing up like a, a woman, and so I can express it that way. Well, I mean, I'm probably reading too much into it, but maybe. I will. I want to note right now, and I don't mean this in a weird way, that it is extremely strange. Or I was not, not strange, I was not expecting the two queerest movies that we have ever covered to both come out of Japan with <laughs> Tetsuo and then this. I, I know, but here it is. And that's okay because... And to both be so fucking impenetrable with how they present it. Wow. And I think that is the real clever nature of, of how they're storytelling, right? It's like you're taking this, once again, taboo subject, right, that's frowned upon in their society... And you're shrouding it in these really interesting metaphors and visual, I don't know, you, you're throwing in these, like, these visual landscapes that are foreign to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of these characters seem foreign, but it makes more sense when you start peeling the layers back. It's like, oh, this is actually what it is. Oh, that's kind of neat. Uh, and you're right. I, it's like I, I would not anticipate that would be coming from Japan of all places. But here we are once again. Minami essentially sexually assaults Ozaki while she's sleeping. Dude, well, here's... I mean, she's into it, but... Right, but here's what I found interesting. Now, the more I thought about it, is Masa, who's the innkeeper, right? She tells Minami to say this, like, little chant. Mm, mm -hmm. Because they're kind of trying to, like... Oh, yeah. Channel spirits, whatever. Channel spirits, yeah, yeah. But if if you pay attention to a little bit of... That sequence when he's listening to, oh, that's what the... like he, that he's fucking saying that shit, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh damn, okay, this makes a little bit more sense, man. In that regard, it's like, yeah, he has been probably paying attention, and he's like, still like, hey, hey, I'm back here, I'm <laughs> still here, but yeah, I'm still hiding a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of clever. So yeah, things like that, and like I said, the more I thought about that, the use of milk and cum and all this other stuff, it's like. These are all, you know, like both ma- masculine, feminine. It's the birth. It's like things that we do as a child. You know, we we nurse, we 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 do those things. But as an adult, it's so fucking weird. Like when you see adults do that to each other. Right. Well, and that's like we already said. They earlier on, especially um, in the initial lactating scene, the use of the milk was done in a very masculine way. But I think it's very intentional that we then see the breastfeeding later in the movie so that we realize that this white liquid, he's, it's both like life-giving and like that's where the weird part, I think, yeah. is he's having a hard time reconciling like the fact that he's both sexually aroused by it in one sense, but also recognizes it as being something he's not at all excited by and just something that gave life to him in a different sense absolutely so it's like reconciling these different <clears throat> aspects of nature you know of, of one's nature too but also just the masculine and feminine between the breastfeeding versus yeah. jizzing yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, that's what i think that's an interesting take on this is and how they both give life uh, well yeah. yeah 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 it's like either one precedes the other but one gives rise you know to to essentially what it is like birth yeah what comes after the lactation so it's a cycle of things yeah he pieces out that night though <laughs> yeah he does <laughs> he's like all right, i'm out 
And then and then he's dumb as shit being a fucking co-conspirator as far as taking down the boss. He's ready to just go in and be like, guys, you have to fucking listen to me. This is Ozaki. And yeah. Ozaki's like, let me fucking handle this. I'm not Ozaki. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm apparently not Ozaki. Hello. <laughs> you know, that got his hit. Yeah. I'm he's like, I told person. you at the beginning of the movie, you have to trust me when the shit goes down. <laughs> You know, no, I thought it was clever, too. Like, what I'm about to tell you is all a joke. Mm -hmm. So they've been prefacing some of that shit in that sense, too. It's like, yeah, don't take all this serious. That's true. Don't take this serious. He warned him. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Don't read this literally. <laughs> that all fucking plays. That's so fucking wild, dude. I love it. Yeah, so Boss is trying to get on Ozaki. Uh -huh. This is the part that I thought of that most reminded me of like a straight up romantic comedy because like <laughs> oh the dude God. yeah the dude realizes that he's in love with the chick chick right 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 <laughs> and she's about to make a bad decision hooking up with this other guy and he's gonna go and do this big grand stunt to try to break them up it's it's straight fucking rom-com shit of course it, it is it's like the the night you know, in, in white shining armor and all that stuff, trying to protect his, his fair maiden. And it's like, I know you're misinterpreting what's actually going on here. Except it's happening with a dude with a ladle shoved up his ass. <laughs> and that's the absurdity of it, and that's why I like it. I'm like, this is so fucking absurd right now. Who then gets fucking punched onto his ass, Mr. Hands. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny, man. Like... The whole while, it's like, yeah, that's that's no one. Well, I won't say no one, but most people in that sense, like, you know, that's that's horrific. But he's also achieving ecstasy at the same time. And then electrocute. <laughs> that is fucking, fucking wild, dude. So he's coming and going at the same time. Yep. You know, that whole shit. And then it's, it appears like their relationship now, Minami and female Zaki, is like getting closer. And it's presented with the crotchless panties because now he has a reason to use them that part was weird because she's like what are these and i'm like you knew everything else including shit from his dreams well maybe that's like a test right you know like whoa what are those it's like oh yeah this is the panties now i'm ready to use them i found the right subject matter mm -hmm. i still thought it was weird that that's like no, I, I, I was like but you aren't you know aren't you well, I, I, well yeah well that's like maybe the the whole teasing thing too you know, mm. it's it's easier for to do. It's it's not weird. It's it's different to see a guy do that, like teasing another guy with mm -hmm. like. Is it though? <laughs> it's like no, we can use her. You know, like a, an attractive woman, and it sells better. Like the whole teasing. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading into it wrong, but regardless, that is a weird thing to say. And then they get it on, and do they? So. <laughs> I almost this feel like hard. I should have said this at the beginning before we start, you know, we're an hour and a half in. That's okay. This is a weird horror movie because it's not really a horror movie. No, not really. It's a supernatural mystery movie that if you look at it through the eyes of the main character and take it literally is 100% a horror movie. Oh, without a doubt. It's horrific. He is in a horror movie. What we're watching isn't a horror movie. I agree with that. Until this scene. Yeah. This is a horror movie. Now it is, if it's not before. The last five minutes of this movie, excluding the last 30 seconds. Jesus. It's like this horrific birth. In a sense, it does make sense. Like, not all births are pretty, man. 
regardless. And then you throw in an adult having birth to an adult. You're like, what the fuck? But it's weird because it's like a five-minute body horror scene just to, in my mind, essentially say they still had some weird hang-ups when they first started hooking up because she used to be a dude and his mentor. But they worked it out. They worked it out. What I thought was wild is I want to say the painting in the room where you see Gozu, the big painting, I think it foreshadows that. If I'm not mistaken, because mm. if you look at that creature, it looks like it's swallowing a dude. Oh, okay. And I think that's maybe like a, a foreshadow mm. moment, like, okay, we're going to, in a way, do this. Like, not necessarily that enemy is being sucked in, but, you know, someone's being pushed out, too. I think that was a little bit of a, perhaps, a, a foreshadowing moment. Perhaps. I don't know. It's, it's like, it's basically like he, like I said, the first time they hook up, it wasn't good. Yeah. That's basically what the story is. It's <laughs> like he had a freak out moment realizing that it's Ozaki. But they figured it out. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's like, you know what? They put her in the tub, she came back, and now they're a throuple. Yeah, that's okay. I wonder if that's more like they're using the quote unquote female Ozaki as a metaphor for their sexual endeavors. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you're not comfortable right now with it, just us two, you know? Mm-hmm. We can invoke the female Azaki and we can have fun together. Right. And I think that's a bit of what it is. Like, he's kind of having to slowly wade in. Like, okay, yeah, I, I can do this as like long as you're a chick. Right, right. It's like masquerading a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, that's their kink right now. Or not even, maybe not even their kink right now. Well, like, well, that's, like, that's how he has, he's like, I've realized I'm in love with you, yeah. but I'm really new to this and I kind of need. No, I think you're... That's I need probably, my... What I'm used to. Yeah, I think that's more... <laughs> closer to the, the, the... I won't say reality, but to what this this film was trying to convey. And it's like they finally hook up, and yeah. afterwards, Ozaki's like, yo, what's up, bro? Yeah, And it freaks him out. What the hell? Yeah, it's like, well, okay, okay, okay. It's like, maybe I shouldn't come out as... <laughs> as, as that is, you know, maybe say abrasive, but yeah, that bro <laughs> But then they figure it out. Right, right, right. It's and a very okay. quick ending, but they figure it out. I, I think that's why it's the happy ending. It's like, no, they're, they've realized their relationship to each other, like what it really is. And now they can live happily, and they don't have to worry about that anymore. It's beyond, it's behind them now. Mm-hmm. They figured it out in Nagoya. It's a Nagoya love story. <laughs> I guess, like, I still... Something was taken from him, and I'm not quite sure what. And there is that weird laugh in her maybe, cut at the very end. Maybe his innocence. And I don't mean like his his purity, but like now you're being revealed. So mm. now you can't hide anymore. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just saying maybe. If he took from him what he most desired and at the time it was just to like stay safe in the closet, then yeah, maybe like that's his, what he took from secrecy. him. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm going to take that from you. Now you're exposed. Now everybody knows. That might be it. I don't know. I, I feel like there's no way that this movie isn't about this dude figuring out he's gay. Though. No, 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 no. And I think, like, like, just seeing a little bit of what Tommy says, and he's pretty fucking good about what he does. And the more you watch this film and how it's shrouded in these, which seems to be weird, and it's not really weird. It's just, you know, sometimes a subject matter people aren't used to. It's just the way it's portrayed. <laughs> it's it, it can be odd. Uh, but I like this because it's, 
it's not quite what it appears to be in the sense of like you were saying, if you're viewing it strictly from the POV of Minimi, it's like, yeah, it's, it's this is 100% a horror, movie. horror movie. It's like a nightmare. Yeah. But that's not what this is. I think it's more of a journey. Yeah. And it, it's like a, it's a mystery movie that is yeah, impossible because, to figure out. Right, right, right. Because, because the, the things don't actually line no, up. No, and you can't, to. I don't think you're supposed to read it literally, too. It's like, mm -hmm. it, it's too metaphorical and shrouded and all this other stuff. But he's still going through the motions. He's going and interviewing these people course, and trying to find the info course. and going from spot to spot. Like, he's following that procedural. And that's what keeps it, like, in that mystery mode. It's like, mm -hmm. ooh, what, what really happened to it? It's like, I think now it's more of a metaphor. And that's fun. It's the, but here's something I can tell you about this, right? And I don't want to close out quite yet, but... It was almost... Okay. No, you're okay. So here's the thing. Because the the actual skeleton of this movie is that mystery mm -hmm. he's investigating what happened yeah. to his, his friend, mentor yeah. his mentor even though his mentor is in a different movie where he's <laughs> overthrowing a yakuza boss absolutely <laughs> but most of the time we spend with minami on his mystery movie and i think the fact <laughs> that we see the shop owner taking the shit after it's mentioned that he's been dead was literally like a meta like Here's a twist for you. Yeah. But like funny. fucking hanging that lampshade being like, how fucking tropish is this? Like it's uh, a twist that doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like that. It's just, it lends its hand to like the absurdity of it, you know? But what I was going to say is what I find interesting now, and I, I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, is there's no way I could have drived any of this in my early 20s because I wasn't viewing cinema like this mm -hmm. in my early 20s. Hence why it that would have movie, just been like, this is weird as fuck, like how Right, soon? and even knowing some of like the Buddhist stuff in this, it still wouldn't have made sense in terms of how we're reading it now, in terms of like the the, the journey of a, of a guy exploring sexuality. You know, I would have never read into that side of it. I would just looked at it like, okay, um, she gave birth to his mentor, now they're a couple, okay. That's kind of like, okay. Mm -hmm. That's how I would have probably read it a little bit too literal. You know, and that's why I enjoy it now. It's like, no, I can explore a little bit more within the realm of, of the landscape of film. You know, like these guys are painting a picture in a way, but it's in motion. Mm -hmm. And so you can really weave in and in and out of all these different landscapes. And it's really fun, mainly because it is subjective. You know, and we're all going to interpret it in different ways and that's okay. Mm hmm. Yeah, this movie's fucking fantastic. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And I, I kind of had, it was funny in a way. It's like, I didn't want to sell it too high, and then there was a point where I had a little trepidation. I was like, oh, I don't know how well this is going to carry out the rest of the film. At a certain point, I was like, Nah, this okay. This is okay. This is definitely going to be worthy of some some conversation here. It's it's worth watching just for the weirdest fuck factor, even if you don't want to think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. If you want to think about it, it's worth watching multiple times because you're going to get more out of it. Yeah, the second time through, it's probably more out of it the third time. It's through. it's fun, man. Like I've watched it now a total of three times in the course of twenty years. So <laughs> I don't know when my next watch will be, but I know now what this lens. I have a little bit more equipped going into this film, and maybe I can pick up on other things i know people to recommend this to now yeah I, I, that's you know what awesome. i mean yeah. like i just i don't know how often i'll rewatch it but i'm always going to hold this in high regard that's and awesome. uh, i brought it up once weirdly really good companion piece to tetsuo not gonna get an argument from me in, in that respect too and yeah like 
if you're already a fan of you know Takashi, I'm sure that's why you're here. But if you want to explore some films like really outside the realm, like he's got so much to explore with, man. And that's what makes it fun. Is like if you don't like maybe this, try something else. He's got a lot of different things you can explore. Once again, he wasn't involved with making the movie proper, only the making of, but this does have me hankering to rewatch <laughs> Gemini. No, that's awesome. Gemini is a fun film, dude, the more I think about it. Like, just Japanese cinema, Asian cinema more mm -hmm. maybe apt, but in this case, more specific Japanese. So, like, it, it, in a way, it, it gives more credence into why I like this style and why I kind of go back to these, you know, the particular directors because you can't necessarily get this in the modern western sense too mm -hmm. like there's just too much japanese stuff going on in these films where it's like you're not going to get this anywhere else and i like that man and it's it's always fun to, to explore these kind of films and think in general and like i said to end cap this little bit of run too it's kind of fun i will also say this is fitting in extremely well with what i've been doing on my other pods anyway because we're doing a summer of anime oh that's awesome so I was almost, like, primed already. I'm like, yeah, yeah. give me some of that Japanese humor. Yeah, man, no, I like it. It, it does. It, it reminds me of, like, the absurdity and the dark comedy and the, the playfulness that these guys have. And, yeah, that's why I look forward to films like this. Let's see. Next is... Uh, it's actually a Patreon, so that we talked about earlier. Three bucks, right, mm -hmm. will get you in on all these Patreon episodes we're doing. But... More uh, succinctly, we're doing A Nightmare on Elm Street, so we're continuing our slasher run. That'll be super fun. Yeah, it is. First one, so kind of mean, Freddy. It really is. Yeah, Wes Craven again. Wes Craven. Maybe the other director that's in the running for as many times as Takashi. I was going to say, now that I think about it, Craven is definitely up there. He might take it. You know, that's a good point. I think once we actually do the episode, I was like, okay, I'll have my eyes more on the credits. Right. Well, we'll, we'll count I think them he's up, up there we'll for sure. We're not going to table it up right now, no, but we'll but count it up we for get next there. time. Yeah. And then we haven't figured out next time yet. No, we? but that's for like the, the joy of it. Exactly. We are going to figure that out. Maybe not right now, but before you hear it. Uh, but for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. But before I close out, oh, yeah, man, yeah, I just wanted to say 300th, dude. Oh, shit. That's right. Yeah. So, Woo. yeah, it's. A small feat, I suppose, but it's still kind of neat, man. Hell yeah. God, we got to start off with something good, though. Yeah, no doubt. We'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So 
With all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.